Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. The question I want to ask us today is, do you believe that God is supernaturally providential over your life? Here's a joke. A man takes his dog into the theater manager and says, you got to put this dog on stage. It can talk. The theater manager says, that dog doesn't talk. Yes, Fido, what covers the house? Dog goes, roof. The theater manager says, that's not talking. No, Fido, how does sandpaper feel? Dog goes, rough. Theater manager says, that's not talking. No, Fido, who's the best baseball player in the history of the game? And the dog goes, Ruth. And with that, the theater manager throws the man and his dog out into the street, and the dog looks up and says, DiMaggio? <laughs> and the point of my joke is, the theater manager missed a golden opportunity because he would not believe in the supernatural. And Christian, how much do we miss in life because we don't believe God is supernaturally, providentially controlling our lives? Do you believe that nobody can kill you until God's providence allows it? It's a true story. A five-year-old girl is killed by a drunk driver. They're going to have two funerals for her, one in southern Minnesota, and then her, her burial will be up at a second service in northern Minnesota. Two different Lutheran pastors do this service. In the south, the pastor preaches. We, don't, we, we want you to know one thing. It was not God's will for this little girl to die. It is not the will of our Father that drunk drivers take girls in their prime. This was not the hand of God. They drive up north for sermon number two, different Lutheran pastor who preaches. We don't understand the ways of God, but somehow we're trusting that it was God's will to take her home at this time. And those poor parents are left scratching their heads. Who's right? I'm going to preach today, and I'll show you where I, I see it in the Bible. I think the second preacher was right. Nobody can take your life until God providentially says, okay. Would you turn to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4, and they were going to try to kill Jesus, and they couldn't because God hadn't said okay yet. Luke chapter 4, and before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, we would pray now that you would just, whatever false beliefs or thinking we have about you, our lives, and providence, that your Holy Spirit would teach us now how to understand life, even how to understand our tragedies. Speak to us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just preached a sermon in his hometown, and here's what happens. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And all were speaking well of Jesus and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Here's the first lesson. Let gracious words come out of your mouth. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 4, this is why Christians shouldn't cuss. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. In other words, do you build people up with your words, or do you tear people down with your words? Many, many years ago, I was on a date, and this young Christian woman and I are walking through downtown Minneapolis, 11 o'clock at night. I smelled something familiar, and I looked up, Hostess Factory. And here's this big Hostess Factory in downtown Minneapolis. And the door was open at 11 at night, and I, the, the light was on, and, and we went inside the door, and here's a man dressed in white, the chef's hat, and I, I went up to him, I said, Sir, do you make Hostess cupcakes, snowballs, and Twinkies? And he said, Yes. And I said, Oh, sir, I've been eating them my whole life, and I just love them. <laughs> well, you should have seen the look on his face. I like I made his lifetime. And you know, just my, my, my point to you out of this verse, let's build people up with our words. Don't tear people down. Even our humor, I can get like this, where I get negative humor, it's kind of cutting. Let's be very careful with our humor. Jesus had gracious words coming out of his mouth. Let's build people up. Look at verse 22, and it says, Luke 4:22. And, they, and the crowd was saying, is this not Joseph's son? Here's the next lesson. Don't despise someone's lowly origins. The crowd started out liking Jesus. They liked his sermon. But then they start thinking, well, who does he think he is? We know, who, we know his father. He, he's from our hometown. Who, who is he to preach to us? And they started despising him because he had lowly origins. I want to encourage you. You know who God might use the most in your life? is a person who's uneducated, who is lowly. God loves to p use people who are lowly and uneducated. Um, I remember when I was at college, Christian college, the janitor of our college, I think he was mentally slow, but he'd always be whistling, give you a handshake, smile, say a good word, hardest worker you'd ever want to see, and that janitor taught me how to be a Christian. Uh, listen to what God says. 1 Corinthians chapters, uh, 1, verse 26, Paul writes, Consider your call, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So don't despise people if they're not so bright or if they're poor. God loves to use those kind of people. Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to them, the crowd from his hometown, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. What we heard was done in Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus is saying, You've heard about the miracles I did elsewhere, and now you're demanding I have to do them here too? Uh, well, here's the next lesson. We don't dictate to God where he does his wonders. God is sovereign. That means he's in total control. He does what he wants, when he wants, if he wants, and we don't tell God what to do. Now, we can pray and ask him, and often he's so gracious he'll answer our prayer, but ultimately we leave things to the sovereignty of God. Sadly, the f of three of the four biggest churches in the United States are prosperity churches preaching that if you believe hard enough, you're always going to be healed, and God's going to give you more money if you believe in him. The biggest church in the United States, you've probably seen their preacher on TV, Joel Osteen, is a prosperity church. 
and they asked, Joel Osteen says this, does God want us to be rich? I think God wants us to be prosperous. I think he wants us to be happy. To me, you need to have money to pay your bills. I think God wants us to send our kids to college. You know a Bible verse that says God wants us to send our kids to college? I can't find it. So they go to uh, one of the other of the four. Rick Warren also has a huge church, but he's not a prosperity preacher. And here's what he said. This idea that God wants everybody to be wealthy, there is a word for that, baloney. It's a creating a false idol. I can show you millions of faithful followers of Christ who live in poverty. Here's what I say to prosperity people. So many prosperity preachers now on TV that God will always heal you and he'll always give you more money if you believe in him. Well, wait a minute. It says in the Old Testament, now when Elisha became sick of the illness of which he was to die. Elisha raised people from the dead. Nothing was wrong with his faith, and he died of an illness. Or I point to the New Testament. Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, uh, I think it's chapter 2, Paul writes, Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. Paul doesn't say, where's your faith, name or claim, but he says, take your medicine. I believe you can be a true Christian and die in poverty and die from cancer, and nothing's wrong with your faith. Years ago, when I was in college, a Baptist pastor was part of our fellowship group. He'd come and give us Bible studies. I remember this story. He said a little girl was dying in our church. We had a prayer meeting for her. And at the end of the prayer meeting, I got such a strong sense that God was going to heal that girl. I said to the people that night, I know the Lord's going to heal her. Let's praise God before he does it. Thank you, Lord, for healing her. He said the next morning, the girl was dead. And he said, I learned a lesson that day. Never confuse your strong feelings with the sovereign will of God. Look at verse 24. And Jesus said to the crowd, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Here's the next lesson. Don't expect your hometown to receive you. <laughs> I'm from Omaha. When I go home to my church in Omaha and preach, they're very appreciative and receptive, except for one person, <laughs> my more liberal sister who goes to that church sometimes. And I remember preaching there once, and I think I heard out of the corner of my ear her criticizing my sermon to the senior pastor there, the older pastor. And I, I remember him saying to her about me, <laughs> a prophet is not without honor, except in his own in his own household. <laughs> See, and sometimes the hardest people for us to convert are our relatives. Some of you have, have the story, and I've heard stories like this, that when you came to Christ, your whole family came with you. That's marvelous. That's not my story, and a lot of us have the story that when we came to Christ, our family said, thanks, but don't talk to us about it. I mean, Jesus had that problem. Do you know that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection? I mean, kind of hard to believe your brother's the son of God. They finally came to believe that, but only after he rose from the dead. Look at verse 25. Jesus talking to the 
hometown crowd. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the Jewish widows, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, in other words, a Gentile and non-Jew. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed. No Jewish leper was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, who was a non-Jew. So here's the next lesson. God is sovereign in whom he will save. The Jewish viewpoint back then was, we're the chosen people, God only loves us, he doesn't help anybody else. And, and Jesus is saying, God can save a Jew, he can save a Gentile, you don't tell God who he can save. Remember years ago, the mass murderer Ted Bundy? I don't know if you ever saw it, but before Ted Bundy went to the electric chair, he was interviewed by James Dobson about his pornography addiction and how that led to murders, et cetera, et cetera. And Ted Bundy repented and came to Christ before he died. And I remember one man saying, well, I think that's not fair. God doesn't do that. I think it's wonderful. We're all Ted Bundy. We're all sinful. And it's wonderful when God saves people right before they die. Do you know who Norma Corvey is? She's the Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade. Her case led to us killing 4,200 babies per day in the United States. Do you know that? We kill 4,200 babies every day in the United States. Goes all the way back to Roe versus Wade. Well, Norma Corvey, the Roe, is now a born-again Christian going around the country preaching against abortion. I think that's wonderful. This is the sovereignty of God. People you never thought would get saved, God saves them. And he's free to do it, and it's marvelous when he does it. Having said that, we don't know who God's going to save or how or when, but let me say this. We do know, excuse me, how. We do know how God saves. He only saves through Jesus. There is talk now and then about defunding public broadcasting, and I, I hope we will. I know public broadcasting has some really good TV shows, but they put all these new age preachers on TV. They won't put somebody like me on public television, but they'll put on Wayne Dyer and all these new age preachers. Well, so they had a program some time ago called One God, Three Religions. And the point of the program was Jews, Christians, Muslims, they all worship the same God. And then they showed a very liberal United Church of Christ pastor praying to Allah with the Muslims. <laughs> and I thought, oh, isn't that hip? Isn't that enlightened? No, it's not. You know, there's the old saying, you can be so open-minded that your brains fall out. There's a Methodist church near my house, more liberal church. They, have a, they had a big sign in front, open hearts, open minds, as if we're an open-minded Christian church. And I'm thinking, okay, what do you mean by that? And I'm guessing, I, I hope I'm wrong, but my guess is we're not one of those churches that is closed-minded and says you have to believe in Jesus. We believe all kinds of ways lead to heaven. No, they don't. What did Jesus say? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, period. And if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in John 14, 6. I mean, I, I, went, I, I grew up with a, a woman named Tracy. And then we went to college, and, and she and I were at the same college. And she joined my Bible study in college. And Tracy converted to Christ during college. It was wonderful. Started coming all the time to our Bible study. Well, then, you know, I haven't seen her for years. And I got a newsletter from the college and with her email. 
So I sent her an email. Tracy, how you doing? Just thought I... And, and she wrote me back. She lives in the Twin Cities. Tom, I see your TV show. I will never believe that Jesus alone saves. I think we must all find our path to God. I wrote her back. I think Tracy, I think she'll tell you she's a Christian, an Episcopalian. I said, but Tracy, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And my point was, could we be open-minded to him? You know, you can... You can believe all kinds of paths lead to God, but you're arguing with God. God says there's one way. John 14, verse 6. All right. Um, let's move on to verse 28. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. They're mad that Jesus is saying you don't have to be Jewish to be saved. So here's the next point. Beware of religious zealots. The, the people in Jesus' hometown are religious zealots. In the next verse, they're going to try to kill Jesus for, for what, what his, his, his beliefs were. And we live now in an age of religious zealotry. You know, who would have thought before 9-11 that the battle in the 21st century would be between radical Islam and the West? I don't think anybody saw that coming, but... Read the history of Muhammad and his murderous raids. Read the history of the Turks and the Ottoman Empire. And uh, the militant Muslims have been trying to kill us infidels for a long time. And it's back. We don't want to be religious. We want to be zealous for Christ, but we don't want to be religious zealots and try to convert people through force. Did you, do you remember this? The two Fox News reporters who were captured by the Muslims, a gun was put to their head, you convert to Allah or we'll kill you. And both of them said, we convert, and they were let go. And I, th I read that and I thought, well, isn't that a good advertisement for Islam? Repent and come to Allah or we'll kill you. <laughs> and, and Christian, of course, we, are, we as Christians, we don't force people to convert. I'll, I'll, I, I'll tell you what I thought of. I went to college and my roommate was Hal, Jewish guy from New York City. And during that semester, I, I prayed for Hal. And at the end of the semester, I gave him a little gospel tract on how to be saved. Through the years, I still call Hal now and then. And I've had long, deep talks with Hal about Jesus. Never forced anything. Now and then would bring it up. Well, um, he tells me that his wife uh, has, was a lapsed Catholic, and, and she's had some uh, uh, problems. And she's come back to the church. And she and Hal's daughter now are attending church regularly. And, and, she said, and he, Hal said, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to hear that. I wrote him back. I said, I am, Hal. And my prayer for you still is someday you'll come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And he wrote me back and he said, well, you never know, do you? And I don't think he's converted, but that's about as open as I've ever Hal Hal's getting a little open. And see, that's the way we Christians convert people. We don't put a gun to your head. Beware of religious zealotry. You know, um, uh, uh, let's look at verse 29. And they got up and they drove Jesus out of the city, led him to the top of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Here's the next lesson. Jesus suffered rejection. And if you're going to follow Jesus, expect that. I've only baptized one former Hindu, excuse me, Muslim in my life, but he was raised in Iran. He came to Christ, got converted, and he wanted me to baptize him. I did, and his family shuns him now. If you follow Christ, expect rejection. 
And then last lesson, verse 30. But passing through their midst, Jesus went his way. See, they couldn't kill him because it wasn't his time yet. He just goes through their midst, and God protects them supernaturally. Listen to this now. I want you to believe nobody can kill you until it's your time. Listen to these verses. John chapter 7. Jesus said, Go to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. John chapter 7. So they sought to arrest Jesus, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. John chapter 8. Jesus taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And then his hour came. And in John chapter 19, Pilate said to Jesus, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you or power to crucify you? Jesus said, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. In other words, now my time has come. Pilate, you think you're in control of the situation? You think you have the power to kill me? No, you don't. The only reason you can kill me now is because God says you can kill me. And I want you to believe that for yourself. Nobody can touch you. I'll tell you what I wish. If I was one of those Fox reporters and they put the gun in my head, here's what I hope I would have said. You're going to kill me unless I turn to Allah. Well, you know what? You can't kill me. I have a God in heaven who supernaturally protects my life. Now, if it's my time and God allows it, then you kill me and I go to heaven. But you can't touch me without the providence of God. That's what I hope I would have said. I want you to believe that for yourself, too. Nobody can touch you apart from the providence of God. And let me close with this. Here's a woman, a Christian woman, who is fired from her job. She was a hospice worker. And, you know, sometimes if you're a hospice worker and you talk to somebody about Jesus, you get fired. Well, so she's fired from her job, not for that, but other reasons. And it was done in a mean way. And so she comes, she's really broken, and we, we talk for a while. And then I said, well, if you believe in the providence of God, nothing can happen apart from God's permissive will. And I said to her, I want you to see this as God closing a door so he can open a window. And later that same woman became the woman working with the elderly of the church I served. And she still is doing a marvelous job working with the elderly. And now if she doesn't share Jesus with people, she'll lose her job. But it just it's a marvelous thing how a horrible thing happened to her, but it was God closing a door so he could open a window. I want you to see that too. Nothing can happen to you apart from the providential uh, power of God. And Romans 8.28, God causes all things, including tragedy, to work together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, can we go back to your sermon are you saying that if someone robs or kills me, that that's God's will? Well, uh, ultimately, I'm going to say that. And, and here's where I get it, Jackie. They killed Jesus. Was it God's will for Jesus to be killed? The answer is yes. Acts chapter 4, uh, is it 4? Acts chapter 2. Peter says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this Jesus whom you killed. So, yes, it was God's will for Jesus to be killed for our sin debt to be paid, to take the punishment for our sin. And so was it God's will for the Apostle Paul to be beheaded, for St. Peter maybe to be crucified upside down according to early church history? All of that, I think, was God's will because nothing like martyrdom makes the church grow. So okay. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. All right. So... You were talking about the zealousness of the prosperity people and that. 
don't you sometimes think that Christians today aren't zealous enough, yeah. though, about yeah. what Jesus yeah. does? Amen, yeah. Jackie. I was watching, and I don't like to watch the show much, but now and then I'll be going like this. I saw David Letterman the other night, and he had a skit mocking Jesus, where David Letterman called Jesus on the phone, and Jesus answered and called David a profanity uh, in the skit. He had Jesus using profanity in the skit. I got so mad, and I thought, why doesn't David Letterman do that for Muhammad and see how long he lasts, you know? And I don't want us to be like the militant Muslims by any means, but I called and I complained to uh, CBS. I said, you know, I, I left my message and I said, and I think I said, please respond. Of course, I didn't get anything back. But Christians need to be a little more zealous, not a little less zealous. Okay, and then I guess when we're talking about Christians, Muslims, and Jews, do they worship the same God? I have to say no to that. Jesus said to the Jews, if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. And here's what is true and here's what isn't true. Jews, Christians, and Muslims are monotheists. We only believe in one God. Hindus believe in, they're polytheists, they believe in many gods. But Jackie, do Christians, Muslims, and Jews believe in the same one God? We don't. Christians believe Jesus is God. Muslims think you're a heretic if you say Jesus is God. So that it doesn't really work to say we all believe the same thing. Well, isn't that making us appear to be rather narrow-minded yes. then? Yes. And, and here's is what that we wrong? say. The, the thing, I mean, I don't mean to be snippy, but a, a line I learned, <laughs> I can afford to be narrow-minded. I'm right. <laughs> and I don't, don't mean to be snippy with that. But when people say all roads lead to God, and you Christians are narrow-minded by believing that only Jesus leads to God, can't we say back, well, aren't you narrow-minded that you're not willing to embrace my opinion? See, the, the thing about, um, the thing we have, Jackie, is Jesus himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, saying he's the only way. Are we going to believe that or not? And if people call me narrow-minded for, for believing Jesus' words, so be it. All right. Before we close, Tom, is there any advice that you would give to listeners on how they should lead their loved ones to Christ? You know, Jackie, I have people and loved ones, relatives of mine, that I've been praying for for decades. I think we all do. Yeah, yeah. And all I can say is two things. Pray for them till you die. You might not see them convert in your lifetime, but sometimes somebody dies, and that after they die, they get their loved ones get converted. And the second thing is, when the Lord nudges you, open your mouth. Around some of my relatives, I bite my tongue a lot. But then, now and then, I feel as if the Lord says, no, now you talk. And I try to do it lovingly and humbly, but I speak my truth. And I don't see it having much success, but, uh, you know, you speak the truth in love is what the Bible says. Tom, do you want to close for us today and tell people what's happening with our ministry? Sure. Everybody, uh, thanks, Jackie. And just, I, we'd ask you to pray for this ministry. We are on the air because of faithful people who support us. If you go to pastorstudy.org, you'll see there how you can support this ministry and pray, pray for us that we'll be able to continue on. We're on nationally right now. I don't know how long that'll last, but go to pastorstudy.org, pray for us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.